If you'll join me in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, we're looking at verses 20 and 21 this morning. If you are using the Blue ESV Bible, you can find that on page 984. Page 984, Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The title of our sermon this morning is Children and Their Parents. And our keywords for our worshipers and training are Father, Child, and Provoke. Now, I am always very curious to look at the kinds of answers that the world gives to the kinds of questions that Christians often find to be rather straightforwardly addressed with biblical wisdom. And one of the more surprising, I guess, areas where there's often a significant difference in how we see things is related to the relationship between a child and a parent. I found one online forum where a parent was asking others for advice because she said her four-year-old daughter told her, quote, Mommy, why should I have to obey you? You never obey me. Now, there was a long list of replies to this mother, but the most straightforward, simple, and obvious answer actually never came up. My sweet daughter, whom I love so much, God says that children should obey their mommy, and he does not tell mommies to obey their daughters. We want to honor and obey God, and you're you're honoring and obeying God when you honor and obey me because that's what he commands. That's pretty simple. What's so difficult about that? But sadly, this kind of confusion isn't, isn't confined to the world. Many Christian parents are in a constant struggle as to how they should raise and communicate with their children, how they should function and see their children respond with obedience and and honor. Questions like, how do I correct and discipline my child who lies when they could have just as easily told me the truth? Or, my daughter throws tantrums at the worst possible times, doctor's offices and grocery stores. What do I do? Or, I know my 14-year-old is too old to spank, but how do I discipline him? Or, my child won't talk to me. I can never get beyond one-word answers. If I do what I think I'm supposed to do, I'm afraid my daughter won't like me anymore. How can I discipline my child without responding in anger? All important questions, all necessary questions, all questions that the Bible has answers for. Now, of course, the confusion is very easy for us to understand. Even in the simplest times, raising children is a difficult task. But we don't live in the simplest times, do we? Many voices are giving competing and and contradictory messages, and the wisdom of Scripture for many just seems so out of touch with the reality of today's culture, today's difficult life with media and video games and television and the Internet and peer pressure and and bullying and, and material possessions. We're raising our children in hectic times when our schedules are stretched, our budgets are bulging, our lives are moving at a very fast pace. And we have these feelings that maybe we're not spending enough time with our children because the world tells us we need to do that more and more, but we need to work harder and harder at the same time, and we just don't know how to do it all. But our our availability because of our responsibilities and our obligations and our hobbies and our social lives, those all need to be handled well as, as well. And so we're just stretched so thin. How do we do it? 
Now, the reality is that the Bible has a lot to say to children and to their parents, and it's timeless wisdom, and it doesn't change depending on what century we're in. The Bible is robust. It provides solid counsel for every age in every culture. When I travel to different countries in the world, on different continents, I like to talk to parents and and their children. It's amazing to see. It's amazing to see that parents who live on very little in places like Egbe, Nigeria, or Nairobi, Kenya, or Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and parents who live in abundance in places like Riverside, California, or Abuja, Nigeria, or London, England, they all have most of the same general concerns about their children and about their parenting. And the longer I'm a parent and the more I interact with other parents and their children, the more I'm able to travel the world and see the universality of our concerns and our needs and our desires and our parenting in the lives of our children, the more I am convinced that the greatest need in parenting is biblical knowledge coupled with the wisdom and understanding needed to break down and apply that scripture in sensible and doable training for our children. And so this morning, as we continue in our series through Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, we need to be reminded that in this part of the letter, Paul is giving us practical application to the theology that he gave us in the first few chapters of this letter. And so he's working it out. Now remember, a few weeks ago, he was showing us that there are certain things in our lives we need to put off as Christians. There are certain other things that we need to put on as Christians all because we have been renewed by God. We are living by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And so we are enabled. We are given everything that we need in order to put off and to put on. And now he's giving us more practical wisdom of what that looks like. And we began last week looking at what that looks like specifically in our domestic relationships. We saw what that looks like in the home, specifically between the husband and the wife. And we're, doing, we're seeing what Paul often does in his arguments. There's sort of this cascading argument. He begins with what's of utmost important in terms of our relationships. He dealt with our relationship with the Lord, of course, and then our relationship with our spouse. And now he's dealing with our relationship with uh, parents and children. And next time we will see he's dealing with the relationship between uh, masters and servants or the way we will see it as between employers and their employees. So Paul is doing this that he often does. But what we'll notice is that while the commands within each of these relationships are very specific, the principles that make applying these commands in our lives possible run parallel to one another. As we see so many times throughout the Bible, and most certainly in Paul's letters, the important emphasis always works out to be that we need to be wisely, graciously, and lovingly dying to ourselves that we might live to the advantage of other people. And that includes parents with their children. This is certainly the case in marriage that we saw last week. This is certainly going to be the case that we look at next time for being a biblical leader. So let's read the text this morning, Colossians chapter 3. Very simple, two verses, verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Two very straightforward commands. 
But as we all know very well, a lot of things that we read in the Bible are straightforward in their reading, but when we start to dig and we start to apply, it gets a lot more difficult. So Paul's going to help us in two important ways this morning. First, how ought children to respond to the authority of the parents in their lives? And second, how ought parents to think about and utilize the authority that they hold in their children's lives? So children, I hope that you are listening, especially this morning. I hope you listen every Lord's Day, but especially this morning. There's a lot in here for you today, and I will try to address you uh, directly. And I pray also that God would be working in the hearts of all of our children. Redeemer Baptist Church has so many children, and I thank God for that. And, and you know, I'm praying, I have been praying for a while now, that in the next five to ten years, perhaps, that we'll just be so busy baptizing kids that we just won't leave, we'll leave the water in there. And we won't have to empty it out because it's so much of what God is going to be doing in our midst. I'm praying that that would be the case. I'm praying and I'm trusting God that he might be pleased to save our children. And if you are a child in here this morning, I want you to know that. I want you to know your pastor is praying for you by name that God would save you, that you would hear the gospel and that you would be transformed by the gospel, that you would know and trust and love the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the greatest thing that could happen in your life, and I want to pray for you in all of that. And brothers and sisters, some of you here this morning, you don't have children, or your children are grown up and they've moved out of the house. And just like I said last week to those who are not married, I want to remind you that you still have a responsibility as a member of the body of Christ. You have a responsibility here that may be even more significant than what I mentioned about you last week about your responsibility toward those who are married. We need one another in parenting. We need your help in parenting our children. And just because you may not have any children does not mean you cannot have a tremendous impact on their lives. When you have the, uh, the opportunity to interact with children in the church, how do you interact with them? How do you think about correcting them when they do something wrong? Or how do you encourage them to keep on persevering in the right thing? I'm so grateful as a father that we have other adults in our church family who take a healthy interest in the good and the well-being of my children. And as a church, we should be doing that with one another. We should be helping each other. So there's something here, as always, for all of us this morning. And so we must keep these principles in mind and seek to work them out together. So we're going to look at two points just as Paul lays them out. The first in verse 20, he says, children... Obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. So Paul gives a command. Paul also gives a motive for a child to follow through with that command. Obey your parents. Why? Because it's pleasing to the Lord. Now, as we see with all of the commands of Scripture, there are really two ways to read it, and one way is wrong and the other way is right. The, the wrong way to read the commands of Scripture are to read them and assume that the command only means what we read in the plainest possible sense. So, for example, completely unrelated to this text, when we read a command like, do not murder from the Decalogue, we can assume what that means 
And if you read that in the most plainest sense, maybe you will conclude that that means that no matter what, under any circumstances, should a Christian ever be involved in the killing of another human being. Well, that's the wrong way to read the law for two reasons. One is that that specific command, murder in the Decalogue, as it's talked about, and killing are two different things. And even our very own Western legal code recognizes this. One is premeditated and intentional. The other may be based on numerous other circumstances, which leads to the second reason why it's wrong to lead, read the law in that way, and that is that every negative command that is given has a positive, and every positive command in the Bible that's given has a negative. So the command, do not murder, is what we call a negative command. But it has a positive implication, which is protect life. And don't you know that sometimes protecting life requires the lawful killing of another person, whether it's protecting one's family in the home or self-defense or carrying out capital punishment or engaging in justified warfare or a number of other things. And so I say all of that to say we should never look at any command in the Bible and assume it just means this very simple, unnuanced thing that boils everything down to black and white and do's and don'ts. That's not how biblical law works. There's much nuance and there's much, uh, there's much that we need to look at in terms of the circumstances that surround everything. So, back to our text. When Paul writes, children, obey your parents in everything for it pleases the Lord, does he just mean always, no matter what, in every circumstance, always do exactly as your parents tell you, and as long as you're outwardly doing what they say, everything is great and everything pleases the Lord? Well, that doesn't match what we understand from the rest of the Bible, does it? Children, if your parents tell you to clean your room and you get a scowl on your face, you know what that is, a kind of get angry looking in your face, and you huff and you puff and you try to blow your room down instead and you say, fine, and you march to your room with heavy steps and you get in there and you slam the door and you're grumbling the whole time and you say, this is my room, these are my toys, and why does it matter if it's clean at all? You might clean your room, yes, but is there anything in the Bible that could tell us that the Lord is not concerned with how you responded to your parents? You might obey outwardly. You might get your room clean with all the grumbling and complaining, but doesn't the Lord have something to say in the Bible about grumbling and complaining? You see, yes, the text says obey your parents in everything. But does that just mean he's looking for outward obedience? No, the Lord is always, always, always concerned about what happens in our hearts. There's a lot to be said about the biblical command for children to obey their parents in everything. First and foremost, the command for children is not just to obey outwardly. Out of sheer personal willpower, a child can usually obey the reasonable requests of their parents. And the implication of what Paul is saying here is not simply for children to do what they're told, but to do so with the realization that they are under their parents' authority or under the authority of another person that's been placed in authority over them. And as a result of that, they realize that the authority in their life is for their good. 
It is for their benefit. It is for their protection and for their provision. And so they may not articulate it that way until they're a bit older. But their obedience will be with a cheerful, thankful heart instead of begrudging and angry and legal. The word obey that Paul uses actually comes from two different words, under and listen. And so literally it says, children, listen under your parents in the Lord. So you see, right obedience is not just about action. It also requires active listening. If you do not really listen, how can you obey? And that's very difficult for children a lot of times, isn't it? They want to play. They want to do what they want to do. And they don't want to have to endure another, another lecture from their parent. And this is why parents must insist on right responses. I don't know about you, but if you have a four-year-old son, I just pull that number and gender out of the hat, and you say, hey, just stand there for 10 seconds and don't move. Is that even possible? And so you see, they need instruction. They need to repeat that instruction back so that they know what to do and you know that they understand what to do. And they need to respond rightly. Things like, yes, sir, or no, ma'am, or whatever that looks like in your home. We should be training our children to obey. And children, you should be listening to what your parents have to say, knowing that your responsibility before God is to make sure you understand what you're being asked to do and then do it. But if you just run off and do what you think you're supposed to do, or you run off and do something only kind of sort of the way you're asked to do it, that sometimes means either you weren't listening under your parents' instruction, but you were just sort of hearing what you wanted to hear and then doing your own thing. That's not obedience. It's okay to ask questions. Your parents should allow you to ask questions to make sure you understand why you're being instructed to do what you're doing or to make sure you know exactly what it is that they expect. Sometimes their answer is going to be because I told you to, and that's okay. But if something doesn't make sense to you and you want to make sure you understand what you're being asked, make sure you ask your mommy or your daddy before you go off and do the wrong thing. But let's always remember what the Lord is after. Not just your outward obedience, but a right attitude of your heart. Yes, we should, as parents, expect first-time obedience. We should not have to give instructions multiple times without obedience. Once they understand, we should expect that it's done. And if we have to, if it's not properly accomplished, there should be consequences. However, part of our instruction is that our children are not just obeying outwardly, but that they're doing it with a cheerful heart. We want to get to the heart, so we need reminders. We need to give reminders of what that looks like. Obedience to God for a child obeying Uh, for a child is obeying their parents. If a child wants to obey God, they will obey their parents, which means they'll listen to instruction, they'll follow through with it in the right way, and they will do it with a heart that is thankful for all that their parents do for them and give to them and why they gave that. I know that sounds amazing, doesn't it? I wish I could say I had magical parenting pixie dust to sprinkle all over us and our children to make this all a perfect reality, but it's not. 
And the reason it's not, one, is because we live in a fallen world and your child's heart is just as sinful as yours. And two, because the Lord has designed parenting and being a child for your sanctification to make you to be more like Christ through trial, through difficulty. And remember, as I said, their heart is just like yours was before you were in Christ, and their heart, if they're a Christian, is just like yours is now as a Christian. So sometimes when we're told to sit in the corner, in outward obedience, we will sit in the corner while in our hearts we're saying, I'm still standing up. Right? We'll do what we have to do so people will will look at us and see that we're doing something outwardly, but in our hearts it's just ugly and dark and vile. And that goes on in your child's heart as well. And so our job as parents is to get to that heart. But the job of the child, children, obeying your parents means that you love your parents. You think very highly of them. You respect them and you show them consideration. Jesus tells us this. He says, if you love me, what does he say? You will do what I command. And in the same way, this instruction is given to children. If you love your parents, you will do what they command. And parents, that means we're addressing the heart, but there should be no room for provision for anything other than first-time obedience, lest we cultivate hearts of self-righteousness and pride. It is good that children are reminded that they are under authority. And the proper response to that authority is to not always seek to find a way through it in some crafty argumentation and manipulation. Your five-year-old child should not be training to be a lawyer. It's not the right time for that. And so this means that children shouldn't be arguing with their parents. They shouldn't be giving excuses for why they should do something else or do it in a different way or whatever that looks like. Kids will all do that. They have boundaries that have been set, and they like to keep pushing against those boundaries to see just how far they can go. But whose responsibility is it to stop the argument? Parents, don't entertain it. Now, sometimes it is good to explain why you're asking something of your children or why you're requiring them to do something in a certain way or whatever, but sometimes we need to just give them instruction and leave it at that. And when your son or your daughter says why or tries to argue, we just need to try something like what I say at home is try again. And they know that when I say try again, that means to say yes, sir, and to follow through. We don't need to explain everything to our children when we know with the right heart and right motives, according to God, we're giving them a good biblical command. Now, here's the caveat. Paul says that children are to obey their parents, but the Lord never calls anyone ever to obey things that are contrary to Christ and His Word. As with all relationships where we are under authority, the authority ends... And our obligation to submit ends if we are asked to do something that is morally wrong or goes against what God has commanded. Now, obviously, our children have a hard time discerning what that is as they often don't know the word very well, at least at a very young age. But this lays this on the shoulders of parents even more. We do not have carte blanche authority to make every kind of demand of our children and expect obedience when that command is contrary to God's Word. 
But I want to be clear. The Lord takes this very, very seriously because it is foundational to the rest of our lives moving forward out of childhood. Augustine wrote, If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? (laughs) It starts at home. Now, you know, according to the civil law of God throughout the Old Testament, if a man had a stubborn and rebellious son who did not obey his parents, though they properly disciplined him, and that's key to that law, the parents were to bring him before the elders, publicly denounce their son, and the parents presented him before the men of the city where the son would be stoned to death. John Calvin explains the rationale behind this. It seems a harsh punishment to us. But here's what John Calvin said. He said, Nature itself ought in a way to teach us this. Those who abusively or stubbornly violate parental authority are monsters, not men. Hence, the Lord commands that all those disobedient to their parents be put to death. For since they do not recognize those whose efforts brought them into the light of day, they are not worthy of its benefits. I think that's Calvin's way of saying, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it and make one that looks just like you. (laughs) Listen, I am personally thankful that Christ has died to set us free from the demands of the old covenant civil law. But... The guiding moral principle behind this civil law remains. It's rooted in the fifth commandment. This isn't a laughing matter ultimately. It's not something we just giggle about when we see rebellion and a lack of obedience and say, well, kids will be kids, right? Boys will be boys. Girls will be boys. Girls. Girls will be girls. It's 2019. a A lot of that going on. I'll save my story about that for later. No, kids will be the kind of kids that you train them to be as you work to shepherd and instruct their hearts. Now, there's no guarantee. We have no guarantee that our children will become Christians. We pray for that. We hope for that. We really want to see that. But we don't have that guarantee. We also don't have the guarantee that they're always going to obey out of a cheerful heart. But you know your own heart and you know you don't either. But... Our children can and should be trained to honor those in authority in their lives, and that begins at home with their parents, Christian or not. Now, it's important to remember that this has another set of limits. This does not mean that as long as your parents are alive that you must obey them. You're not always and forever under your parents' authority. The Bible does command us, however, in the fifth commandment, to always honor our parents. What this means is, the word honor means to make heavy or weighty or burdensome. It's the same word that's used in Exodus 17 when when Moses had his arms to the sky when Israel battled. And the text said, Moses' arms grew heavy. His arms were weary. There was a great weight upon them. It's the same kind of language. And so, in the Old Testament, it's also used to explain God's glory. There's a weightiness to His divine majesty. So, in other words, we're being instructed to give weight to the words and the worth of our parents. And as adult, an adult, you, you don't have to obey your parents, but you should still listen to and consider what they have to say. 
It also means that we will give them the recognition that they deserve for their God-given place in our lives. They deserve to be heard. So they are worthy of our respect. They are worthy of our high esteem. But more specifically, what Paul is writing to here, he's dealing specifically with children under their parents' authority. And I want our children, I hope all of our children, hope all of you will listen right now. Please hear me. God commands that you obey and honor both of your parents. And I want to really be clear what that means for you, not to try and take advantage of your parents or to to put them at odds with one another. Sometimes children want to treat their parents differently or they have different levels of respect for their parents. And parents, we can often be the ones who are causing this in our children's hearts. And so dads, when your daughter asks you to do something that mom has already forbidden, are you undermining her authority? Moms, do you tell your sons that their their father is irresponsible or irrational and disregard his discipline? Parents, do you, keep, do you keep secrets from your spouse with your children? You say, don't tell mom or don't tell dad. Do you disagree with your spouse about the course of action regarding your child's training or discipline in front of your children? Do, do you see what's happening in those scenarios? Do you see what you're doing? If you're undermining the other parent's authority, you are teaching your children that they can get away with putting you against one another. They know who to go to. And they will have greater respect for one over the other. And in essence, you're buying their respect. You're buying their affection by giving them permission to take your husband or your wife lightly when the Scriptures tell them to take it heavily. So we must insist that they honor our husband or our wife, which means they give great weight to them. And your children need to be reminded, and I remind mine sometimes, that is my wife. And you will not disrespect my wife. You need to listen to her because she has a responsibility as your mother, but she's my wife. And if you don't respond to her in the way that you ought, then you have to answer to me. And so children, remember, God's greatest concern for you isn't what you do just in your actions, but more importantly, what you do in your heart. If your heart is right, your actions will be right. You can do the right actions with the wrong heart, but that doesn't please God. And if you don't know and love and trust in and believe by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you won't be able to do this. Really, you won't. You may think you're honoring your parents by doing what they want. And and obedience is a good thing. I want to be clear with that. But what they really want from you, what your parents in this room today really want from you, is for you to hear the gospel and to put your faith in Jesus and to repent of your sin and to walk faithfully with him all the days of your lives. And your parents are praying for that. And ultimately, none of this will be a reality in your life until that happens. You will continue to rebel. You will continue to store up anger in your heart. You will continue to try to do everything through physical action instead of dealing with what's going on in your heart. And listen, children, your parents are giving you everything that is necessary for you that you might have everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. 
as children being brought up in the church, you have no excuse whatsoever not to believe on Christ. You have far more than many children in this world. Just by being here this very hour, some children will never have that for all of their lives because they won't be reached by the gospel before they die. And you know the Lord is going to hold you accountable for that. What are you trusting in? When you die and stand before God, what are you going to tell him about why you heard but did not believe? And I hope you think about that. And children, I hope that you will talk to your parents about that today because God's greatest desire is to have your heart not just your actions. And so ask yourself, how's my heart? How's my heart toward God? And a good way to be able to assess that is to wonder and ask yourselves, how's my heart toward my parents? If you are looking to Jesus with trust and love and submission to his will and obedience toward him, what does Paul say what will happen? He says, it will please the Lord. There's nothing greater in this world than you can do than to please the Lord. What a great blessing to know that we can please the Lord in our lives. All right, parents. Paul goes on, verse 21. He tells parents that we must be balanced. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, Paul addresses fathers specifically here because fathers are leading their homes. But this really is an address to parents in general. Fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children. In other words, do not intentionally and willfully do that which will stir up anger in their hearts and resentment towards you. Now, make sure you're hearing me correctly. This doesn't mean that we should never do anything that might make our children angry. Our goal is not to make sure that they don't sin in anger. That is their responsibility before the Lord. And sometimes the things that you do and require of them rightly will lead to them being sinfully angry, unfortunately. Despite what the world often tells us as parents, our children are not frail little flowers that we shouldn't offend lest we hurt their precious little feelings. The whole reason people are always concerned about being offended is because their parents refuse to ever do anything that they knew would lead to their sinful child doing sinful things. And they didn't want their kids to get mad at them. They wanted them to like them, and so they never offended them. And now they're offended about everything. However, Paul is addressing something very important here. And remember, he gives instruction to those who are in authority to challenge them Ultimately, what is he saying here? Don't become authoritarian. That's an abuse of authority. That is Paul's main concern here. Don't be an authoritarian parent. Don't abuse that authority. Now, there are numerous ways in which we might provoke our children to anger, and some of them probably seem rather counterintuitive. For example, One way is that we're not providing them with discipline and training in the Lord, but allowing them to do as they please. That will provoke your children to anger. If you're not disciplining them rightly and giving them consequences for their actions. Another way is by making them the center of attention and the center of your home. That seems seems off, doesn't it? It seems like 
if we just give in to our children, if we just allow them what they want to do and the way they want to do it, that that won't stir them up to wrath. It won't provoke them. So sometimes, and parents, we all know what this is like, it is exhausting to always be correcting our children. So we just want to maybe lay off a little bit and just let things go. We just want to back up a little bit and just let it go. But you know, when we do that, we're actually provoking our children. How is that so? Because the first time they do that very same thing and you tell them no, what have you done? You've contradicted yourself. And in contradicting yourself, you have confused them. And in confusing them, You don't give them any straight guidelines as to what they need. They don't know what to do or how to do it, and so they can grow angry in their hearts very quickly. And so for their sake, whether they recognize it as this or not, our children need clear boundaries, they need clear guidelines, and we need to hold them to that standard, and that is a blessing to them. It's a help to them instead of a hindrance. And parents, I promise you, I promise you, I know it's hard when they're young, I know it's tiring, I know you go to bed and you just crash out and you don't want to wake up for 20 hours because you're so tired of doing this over and over again, day after day, but do it now and you won't have to worry about it later. You won't have to go bail your children out of jail. When we don't do that, we have all the potential in the world to provoke them, and then when they have to encounter the world, it's going to be very bad for them. Now, part of that means that we know that certain things in our children's lives require certain responses. For example... In our home, telling a lie always, always, always is punishable in the same way. The same consequence always follows the same sin. And that one specifically because it's one of God's specific commandments, lying. And so no matter the circumstances, what do we want to teach our children? That it's never okay under any circumstances to lie. And so you will always have the same consequence. And we could think of all sorts of things, and parents should be together on this and what that looks like in the various ways that our children are prone to sin. Another way we provoke our children is when we're constantly finding fault in them. And our demands on their lives are perfection instead of them learning from their mistakes and messing up like we do. You might provoke your children by embarrassing them in front of other people or incessantly teasing them all the time, or always being sarcastic with them, never being true to them, never being serious with them. Failing to keep your promises, always putting them off, showing favoritism to one child over another, employing training methodologies that are contrary to the Word of God. Parents, we must be very careful about these things. One of the ways this often happens is that we hold sin over our children for long periods of time. Instead of just dealing with it right then and there, we just let it stew and we let it grow and we let it hang forever and we never deal with it. You know, a child is going to be more thankful when they sin if you go ahead and deal with it and give them a spanking than if you wait for a week and say, we'll get to it, and they're always wondering, what is it going to be? And for hours and hours and maybe days at a time, it's looming over them, and they have anxiety and angst in their hearts and not knowing what to do. The Lord doesn't deal with us in that way, does He? 
The Lord is patient with us in our sin, but when we need consequences, He gives us consequences. And then when it's over, we have His mercy, we receive His grace, we know we are loved, and we continue through life without this looming cloud over our heads. When is the hammer going to drop? And so we must deal with it, but we must deal with it immediately and give reminders of our love and our mercy. Now, it may be very small things that we provoke our children with, like how you respond when a child cries for something they cannot have, or what kind of discipline is administered when there is a willful rebellion in the heart. I'll tell you, all of this, as I think about all of this, parenting is an area in my life more than most when I'm constantly having to think, how does the Bible inform me here? There will always be things that arise to keep you asking that question. We need to understand our children and know their makeup. We need to know how to parent them as individuals. You might have one child that you have to always be very, very clear with when it comes to communicating grace because the tendency for them is to beat themselves up and to weigh themselves down with the weight of the law. But you might have another child that needs to be given constant reminders of the law because maybe they live with the hope that grace actually means that they can do whatever they want. Each child needs to be parented differently. And if we aren't mindful of that, if we don't understand our children as individuals, then the things that we do with one, and it might produce in them the right heart, might be used with another and produce in them a provoking in anger. So parents, for our children, obedience, hopefully, if we do these things, obedience should come easily to them in time. That doesn't mean that they'll always like it. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that we should have love and patience with our children to such an extent that they have a constant affirmation and desire to follow us. Just in the same way, as we said last week, that husbands are called to love and understand their wives so that following a husband's leadership in proper submission is not a burden but a joy, so too parents should be thinking about leading their children. We should do our best to make sure that we're not giving them reasons to doubt our guidelines or our restrictions and make sure that they know that what we expect from them is for their good, for their welfare, in the same way that all that God has commanded is for our welfare. And above all else, never should our children have the idea, God forbid they would ever have the idea, that we don't love them. Do we show our children that we love them? Do you get down on the floor and play with them? Do you show them mercy sometimes when they mess up? And yes, talk to them about it, but show them mercy. Are you silly with them? Do you laugh with them at their silly jokes and the things that they do? Do you play with them and their toys? Or are you always an overbearing parent who they aren't excited to see when they come home? Listen, the obedience your children must render to you is in no way excusing or justifying insensitivity or brutality or an overbearing authoritarianism that crushes their spirit. Firmness is necessary, and sometimes we tend to not be firm enough. But our firmness should always be tempered with a purity of motive and a loving spirit, lest they become discouraged. 
An inflexible, judgmental, demanding temperament creates despondency in our children's hearts. And faced daily with this kind of harshness, eventually our children are just going to give up. They're going to be convinced that nothing they do will ever be quite right or good enough to please their parents, so they just give up. And don't we all know adults who spend the rest of their lives trying to please their parents because they don't think they ever measured up as a kid? Don't let it get there, parents. For every correction or moment of discipline, make sure you include a reassuring word of your love and concern for your child's well-being. Explain to them why you're doing what, they're, what you're doing and make sure they know it is ultimately because you love them. And look, being an obedient child isn't easy. We all know that. And let's not forget that as we parent our children and let's show them a lot of grace. Let's show them a lot of mercy. Let's show them a lot of patience and a lot of love. But let's make sure they know where the boundaries are and let's keep them and stay within them. But let's also give ourselves as parents a little bit of room here. Parenting undoubtedly is one of the most difficult and yet most rewarding endeavors any of us will ever experience in our lives. We need the wisdom of the Word of God. We need the patience of Job. <laughs> we need the kindness of Christ. We need the authority of the, of, the, of the Father. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so may God help us all, children, to obey your parents in everything, for it's pleasing to the Lord. And parents, that we not provoke our children, but we want it to go well with them. We want them to know and love and trust the same Lord Jesus that we know and love and trust. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word again. Thank you for your kindness in showing us in your word what you require of us in the most basic relationships in our lives. Lord, sometimes we have a tendency to just go through life and live every day as it is and not think much on these principles. So it's always so important that we are reminded. We are reminded of what you say and what you command and how you command it for us. And so, Father, we pray. I pray specifically for all the children of Redeemer Baptist Church, that you would love them, that you would raise them up in their homes to know and to trust and to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and all of their strength. We love our children, and we want to see them to be new creations in Christ. Would you do that work, Lord? Would you do that to build your church, to call them onto yourself, that they might live lives that are glorifying to you? We pray, O God, that you help our children to hear their parents' instruction and to obey, not just outwardly, but that their hearts would be conformed to your will. We pray for everyone here who's a parent, and we ask, O God, that you help us, wherever our children are in this world, whatever they're doing, whatever age they are, that we know what our role is, what our responsibilities are, that we might be good and faithful parents to them, that we might be loving and gracious and merciful and tender-hearted toward our children, but also that we might be firm and that we might be clear and that we might be willing to give the consequences for sin that are necessary in order that in life they might know what their boundaries are, 
that they can walk in them in a way that is pleasing to you and that it goes well with them in this world as you have designed it. And so we pray in all these things, Lord, for your help. We cannot do it apart from you. And we need your church. We need all of our brothers and sisters. And so help us in our interacting with one another's children to be wise, to be understanding, to know your word and its application that we might be helpful to other parents and we might be helpful to children as we help them to navigate this difficult, difficult world. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do all of this, that you would receive the glory, that your church would be strengthened and built up in the Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.